Well, this morning, I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to have a study that's going to be for the next two Sunday mornings, the next two weeks, and it's dealing with probably the greatest event in all of history, and that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as you think about it, this year, this time of the year, we think about Easter, and we think about Easter, and we call it Resurrection Sunday because we think about how Jesus died on the cross and then rose again. And what we realize is this, that Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week, and so the body of Christ, the believers, we meet on the first day of the week, and the first day of the week is Sunday. And so in reality, every Sunday basically is Resurrection Day, but at this time of the year, once a year, when we think about what we call Easter, we remember how Jesus died and rose again. And so for the next couple of weeks, we'll be focusing on the death and resurrection of Christ. Primarily this morning, we're going to be seeing his death, and then next Sunday morning, since that would be Easter Sunday, we'll be talking about his resurrection. So there's some great things there. You know, we love events. We love to get to go places to do things. Of course, with the virus now and a lot of things going on, people are not really able to go places or do things. But there are a lot of special things that we always love. We love things like graduations and weddings and births of children and honors. and those. There's a lot of special events. Well, this morning, we're going to begin looking at an event that affects everyone in the world, that affects everyone for all time. And this event is the most important event in history. And that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we realize is that Jesus came to this earth. He came to the earth and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he rose again on the third day. I mean, this is a powerful event. This is the reason that we are here. This is the reason we're the body of Christ. Even though we can't meet together, this is the reason that we're in the body of Christ and that we are trained and equipped as children of God, that we're to know the Bible and live it out, that we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we're to be ambassadors for Christ. All of this is because what Jesus did, how he died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. We think about this, it's all because of this event, and this event is really two two parts. There's a death and the resurrection. And when we think about it, there's the death where Jesus Christ paid for the sins of mankind, for every human being. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He died to pay for the sins of everyone. That's he shed his blood. And then he rose again, conquering death. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, and giving eternal life. In fact, in Timothy, he says, and he brought life and immortality to light because of his death and resurrection. And by the way, the death and resurrection go together. You can't have one without the other. You can't say Jesus just died because there's more to than that. He died and he rose again. And so we call that the gospel. We call that message, the death and resurrection. We call it the gospel. And that's the reason I wanted you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, because I want you to see where Paul talks about the gospel message. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, and now this morning you're going to have to be moving around a little bit because we're not in one passage, but when we think about the death and resurrection of Christ, there are different places we'll go. We start in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Paul starts off by saying, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. Now the word gospel means good news, and it's the good news about Christ. I want you to see what he says. Go down to verse 3, and he says this, For I deliver to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and then he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And if you notice, three says he died for our sins according to the scripture, he was buried, and then verse four says he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. We call this the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ. When we think about Easter, when we think about, uh, everybody says Easter's resurrection day, but you have to have the death before you can have the resurrection. So beginning this morning, And next week, we're going to look at the event, which I say is the central event 
of, of the world, of Christianity, of everything, because it's the most important event. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. That's the central event. Let me show you something. When you think about the Old Testament, the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, all the way back to Adam and Eve when, when they sinned and then God comes in there and he's, God the Father says, I'm going to send the seed of woman. And so beginning right then, they're looking forward to a Savior, to a Messiah who's going to come. And then every sacrifice, everything that you see all the way through the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, and which they sacrificed. He's to see the book of Isaiah where he says, the Lamb of God is going to bear the sins of mankind. So the whole Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Then we think about how Jesus came and died and rose again. And now the New Testament, we look back at Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament looks back at Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God, who died on the cross to pay for sin. He's the Lamb of God who who took away the sins of the world. And so the essential event of all of history is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, we call that the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. That is the key at the central event that God saves mankind. So for the next two weeks, this morning and next week, we're going to see this event, and, and, and we're going to do is look at three aspects. First of all, we're going to see that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die. He told them over and over, but we're going to see it this morning. We're going to turn to several places. I want you to see it. Then we're going to see that he died. He said he was going to die and pay for sin, and we're going to see his death. What happened? How he paid for sin? What, what there? But he also said he was going to rise again, and that we're going to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the results. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to actually look at the first two this morning, how Jesus told that he was going to die, told him what was going to happen, his death and resurrection, and then we're going to actually see the death, what happened, his payment for sin, and then next week, we're going to see the resurrection. And so it's really powerful. So this week, the number one and number two, he told him he's going to die and rise again, then we see the death, and then next week, the resurrection. So let's start with the very first one, that Christ told his disciples of his death and resurrection. He announced that he was going to do that. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. He told them over and over, sometimes they didn't get it, sometimes they saw it, sometimes they grasped it, sometimes they didn't even understand it. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ was not caught off guard in any of this. In fact, Jesus said this, He said, I lay down my life, and I take it up again. I lay down my life, that's his death. I take it up again, that's his resurrection. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He came to do the will of the Father. And so we see that Jesus' plan was to die and rise again. And he told his disciples that. He told them over and over. So get ready. Here's what I want you to do. You're in 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn toward back toward the front of your Bible to Luke, to Luke chapter 18. So just turn a few pages back till you get to the Gospel of Luke and look at Luke chapter 18. That's what we're going to see and see what Jesus did with his with his, with his disciples, he told them. So I want you to look at Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 31 through 33, and I want you to see, and we're going to see it over and over for just a few minutes, how Jesus made it plain to them what he was going to do. This was not something that just happened. This is exactly the plan. So look at, eight, look at Luke 18, verse 31. Then he, this is Jesus, then he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. We're going to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And then here we go. After that... 
After that, they have scourged him. They will kill him. There's his death. And on the third day, he will rise again. That's his resurrection. He told him he's going to die and rise again. Now, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. That's the one right in front of Luke. Turn to the Gospel of Mark and turn to Mark chapter 9. I want you to see what he says. Mark chapter 9, and we'll get basically to verse 30. And we're going to see what Jesus says to his disciples. I hope you're all there. Mark chapter 9, listen to this. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them. Now notice what he says. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. That's his death. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. That's his resurrection, his death and resurrection. Now I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. This is the book we've been studying on Sunday mornings. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Now we've already seen these verses because we're all the way up to chapter 22. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 21. I just want you to see this over and over. We've already seen two places where he said, I'm going to die and rise again. Look at Matthew 16. Look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, that's his death, and be raised up on the third day, that's his resurrection. Okay, I want you to turn to Matthew 17, which is, if you're like mine, it's really, really close, and I want you to look at verse 22. Look what he says. If you're like me, I just had to turn one page. Look what he says. And while they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered to the hands of men, and they will kill him. That's his death. And he will be raised on the third day. That's his resurrection. We've got one more place. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, and I want you to look at verse 17. And look what he says. So already we've seen in Luke 18, Mark 9, Matthew 16, Matthew 17. Now in Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 17. And Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. That's his death. And on the third day, he will be raised up. That's his resurrection. And so what we see is this gospel message, what Jesus told over and over, that he was going to die and rise again. We said that the gospel is that Jesus died died for our sins according to the scripture and was raised on the third day according to the scripture. So the gospel is the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus told his men in Matthew, he tells them five times, but we've already seen also Luke and Mark, he says the same thing. Now, this was no surprise. I want you to understand that the prophets told that the Messiah would die and rise again. They did. Well, think about this. In Isaiah 53, he's the suffering servant. He's the one who's going to bear our, die for our sins. He was going to be bruised and wounded and, and, and beaten for our transgressions. And then in Psalm 16, it says, but he will be raised from the dead. He will not see corruption And so what we understand is this, that Jesus told what he was going to do, that he was going to die and rise again. He told of his death, 
and his resurrection. Now, they didn't grasp it. They didn't get it. Even after he died and was put in the tomb, they still didn't grasp that he was going to rise from the dead. They just hadn't put it all together. So we've seen the first thing. Jesus told us, now let's see now the death. And this is, we could actually say this is a sad part, but if you remember 1 Corinthians 15, 3, for I deliver to you a first importance, which I also received that Christ died for our sins. Now, we want him to, we're so glad he did this. We're glad that when he died on the cross, he took our sins, past, present, future, all the sins, and he, made, he paid the penalty. So what we want to do as we, as, we get, as we look at the death, we want to see three things. We want to see the preparation for death. We want to see the death itself. And we want to see the results. So let's start basically with the preparation for his death. And as we think about Christ going to the cross, we think about why did he come? You know, people are so confused because people say Jesus came to be a good example. Or Jesus Christ came to show us how to live. Jesus Christ came to die. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross to pay for sin. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He came to die for us. And so let's think about the final week. Now, on Sunday mornings, we've been studying in the Gospel of Matthew, and we have come to the final week. We saw Jesus basically come into the town and, and, and the, 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 what we call Palm Sunday, which is, would be today, and he came in and all the things happened. And so let me remind you, and, and you're, if your Bible's like mine, you should be right at Matthew chapter 21. So let's look at Matthew chapter 21, and let's see. Here we see Jesus, the preparation for his death. Look at Matthew 21, look at verse 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, now they had been coming, they're coming from Jericho, they've already come through Jericho, they are already, uh, uh, two blind men were there and he's already healed them, and he now comes up basically over the ridge, he's coming, getting ready to come into the city at the top of the Mount of Olives, on the top of the Mount of Olives are two little towns, one of them is Bethany, the other is Bethage, there's actually probably another one there, and he says this, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, and here's what he said, go into the village opposite you, that could be Bethany, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. Now, we already know that what if you went into the town and you started untying somebody's donkey, they looked at you and said, what do you think you're doing? He said, if anybody says anything to you, just say the Lord needs them and they'll, they'll be able to get it. And that's exactly what happened. And they went in there, and they found the donkey, and they were untying it, and some people looked at him and said, what do you think you're doing? And they said, the Lord needs it. And they said, oh, oh, okay, take it. And so they came back, and they had this colt of a donkey, and Jesus gets on the donkey, and they ride into the city. And we'd say, what in, what in the world is going on? And most people say, this is Palm Sunday. He's coming in. But Matthew tells us something. He says, this fulfills Scripture. In fact, he quotes Zechariah 9.9, Matthew Matthew 21.5, which said the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. And let me, here's what it says in Matthew 21.5. Behold the, to the daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the fold of a beast of burden. So Jesus entered the city riding on a donkey. Some people could say, what in the world? Well, that's what Zechariah said. Zechariah said that when the Messiah comes to Jerusalem, he will come riding on a donkey. Now, we all say things like, that doesn't sound exactly right, because if you're the king of kings and the lord of lords, and you're coming into Jerusalem, wouldn't you come in on a white horse or something? Well, you got to understand something. 
When Jesus came the first time, he came to die. So the first time he comes into Jerusalem to die, he rides a donkey. When he comes the second time to reign, which is found in Revelation chapter 19, when he comes the second time, he comes riding on a white horse. That's the king. So the first time he comes to die, he rides a donkey. The second time he comes, he comes as the king. He rides the white horse. So Zechariah said, when he comes this time, he's going to be riding on the donkey. And of course, what did the people do? They were shouting out. Notice uh, this is verse 8 of Matthew 21. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting down branches from the trees, spreading them in the road. And the crowds were going ahead of him, and they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And we all know that Hosanna, a lot of people think it means praise God, but Hosanna means save us. They're basically saying, here is the Messiah and King, oh, save us. And, and they're not talking just about saving them from the Romans. They're talking about saving us because that's what the Messiah is. He is the Savior of the world. So, he, so as we're preparing for his death, he comes in this last time and offers himself as the King. But there's even more. And if you go a little bit further and you get into Matthew chapter 26, we're going to see that he eats the Passover meal. So turning your Bible over to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start about verse 17. Now here we are, a week, basically a week has almost passed. He came in really on a, most people think that Passover, uh, that, that, that day that he came in and the palm branches and everything, everybody calls that Palm Sunday. And so they figure that it's going to be about a, a week before he rises from the grave. We don't know exactly, but we think it's probably the final week of his life. And so what did he do? On the 14th day of that month was Passover. This is the biggest deal. And, and so it's now time for Passover. And look what happens, Matthew 26, verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, where do you want us to, to prepare for you to eat the Passover? We're going to talk more about the Passover in just a minute. So where do you want us to eat the Passover? And here's what he said. He said, go into the city to a certain man. Say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Well, that's exactly what happened. He's going to be eating the Passover meal, and so he told them to go in. One of the other gospels says, or actually a couple of the other gospels say, here's what you're going to do. When you go into the city, you'll find a guy carrying a big pitcher of water. Follow that guy, and when he gets to the house, that's the house that you go in and say, this is where we want to have the Passover. So it's time, and that's exactly what happens. They go and notice that uh, they get in there and they have the Passover meal. Now, I, don't want you to, uh, to, I want you to remember this, that the Passover meal was so special. If you remember, the Jewish people had been in captivity for over 400 years in Egypt, and God told them, through Moses, here's what he said, I want you to take a lamb. It was on the 14th day of the first month of Nisan. That's their calendar. It corresponds to our March and April. And he said, I want you to take a lamb, kill it, put the blood on the door. In the middle of the night, I'm going through the land of Egypt, and I will kill every firstborn. But wherever I see the blood on the door, I will pass over. And so in reality, the Passover lamb was the substitute to save their lives. And the Passover lamb died in their place. Now, you already can picture exactly what we're thinking about because Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Jesus Christ died on the 14th day of the first month, which is Passover. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when Jesus sits down to eat this Passover meal with his men, just like always, they're remembering how they came out of Egypt and how God saved them from bondage. 
What we realize is we have a Passover lamb that is Jesus Christ, and through his blood we are saved from our sins. Just as the nation of Israel was saved from bondage in Egypt by the Passover lamb back then, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, saves us from the bondage of sin. So watch what happens. And they're reclining at the meal. Look at verse 20. Now when the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table of the twelve disciples. You all know that they didn't sit at a big table like some of the drawings are. In those days they usually had a little table that was uh, very small, about that tall, and they would actually lay, usually on their left arm, and their right arm was how they would reach up and get food, and they lay in a circle around the, 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 the meal. And if you remember that, if you study it, you find out that John was to Jesus' right, he was right there, and Judas was right there on the other side, and then the rest of them were around. And so they're eating the Passover meal. Now watch what happens. Look uh, at verse 26 of Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to, to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had given the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Now what Jesus does is he tells them that I, he is the Passover lamb. Just like the bread, he said this bread represents his body. This juice represents his blood. And so as we think about the Passover, that when you think about the meal, when you think about the bread, it represented the body of Jesus Christ. And when you think about the cup or the blood, it represented the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a picture of what Jesus Christ is going to do. And from that point on, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. It's where instead of when we have the, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the body and the bread, represent, the, the, the bread and the juice represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we're going to do something unusual. We're going to stop right here. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as always, according to in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, Paul talks about uh, the, the Lord's Supper and how to do it. And he says there's two aspects. There's a time that you examine your lives, and then you partake. And so as we get ready to do this, and you're at home, and we said to have the elements ready, and I have the elements here for me, we want to do two things. First of all, we want to examine our lives, so we're going to take just a second, and we're going to deal with any sin that could be in our lives, uh, and we want to make sure we're in fellowship, because when we talk about Lord's Supper, sometimes it's called communion, which means fellowship. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist, which means I give thanks. Uh, Eucharisto, the Greek word. So this is a time of thanksgiving. This is a time of fellowship. This is a time of remembering what Jesus did that night. And so we want to be in perfect fellowship. So we're going to take just a second while every one of us, if we, if you can, uh, bow your head. And if there's any sins, confess anything. I'll close this in prayer in just a second. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we know that uh, you love us beyond we could imagine, and we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we do that by being in fellowship with you. And so, Lord, if there would be any sin in our life that we confess it right now, we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Well, when you think about the Lord's Supper, as Jesus already said, he said there's the bread and the juice. We know the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ and the juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ. So, first of all, as you pull out the element, you have the bread first. Let me remind you what Jesus said. It said this, and while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, 
blessing. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. You know the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God and at exactly the right time, according to Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and became a human being. John 1, 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus Christ became a human being. Why? Because in 1 Peter 2, 24, he says he bore in his body our sins. So when Jesus went on the cross, our sins were placed on him. And so we think about the body. That's why Jesus said, this is my body. Take, this is my body. And, and, and that's what happened. That is his body. So as we partake of this, let's think of the fact that Jesus Christ became a human being so he could take our sins upon himself. Let's partake. Heavenly Father, may we never take for granted what Jesus Christ has done. We thank you how that he became a human being so he could die on the cross so he could take our sins. And Lord, as Isaiah 53 says, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The sins of us, mankind, was placed on Jesus. Lord, may we never take it for granted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The second part, of course, is the juice, and I hope you have something there uh, to, to drink. And remember, the juice represents the blood of Christ. Look at verse 27, and, or let me remind you of verse 27. Hey, when he had taken a cup and had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sin. And so this was the blood of the covenant. And so as we get ready to partake, think about First Peter. It says, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses us and is the payment for our sin. I love First John 2, too. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. And so as we get ready to drink, take the, to the juice, remember this juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for us. Let's partake. Heavenly Father, may we never take for granted the blood of Jesus Christ, how it was shed for us. As Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, washes us from our sins. And so, Lord, may we never take it for granted. Thank you, Lord, for the death and the resurrection of Christ. Thank you for the Lord's Supper that helps us to remember that. And thank you, Lord, as we see Jesus meeting with his men that last night before he goes to the cross, showing them his body and his blood as the bread and the juice. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus Christ has done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Men. So it's very powerful. Uh, we know that in the meal, by the way, at the Jewish meal of the Passover, there were four different cups that they drank. The one that is this one that Jesus says, take, drink, this is my body, that was called, the, that was the third cup, and it was called the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing. So really, really powerful. Now, what happened after that? Verse 30 of Matthew 26, it says, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So here's those other doing that. So they're leaving. Now, I want to show you something. The reason I bring this up is I want you to keep looking. What, look what he says to them, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall scatter. By the way, the striking down the shepherd is his death. Now watch the next verse. But after I have been raised... I will go ahead of you to Galilee. That's his resurrection. He even tells them on the spinal night that he will be struck down, he'll die, and then he'll rise again. You know, what pictures he gives them? He gives them the picture of the Passover lamb, his bread, the bread and the juice, his body and his blood, striking the shepherd, rising again. These are the message, and the message is Jesus' death and resurrection. My prayer is that all of us connected with this body, 
that we will share the good news message of Christ, how he died and rose again, how he sacrificed himself to pay for our sins and rose again to conquer death, and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. We have that great privilege. Well, we saw the preparation for death. Let's see. Let's see the death. And we say it's sad, it's horrible. The Son of Man is being put to death, but it's not the end. This is God's plan. And so notice again, verse 30, after singing a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Now let me remind you, they would leave wherever they were in Jerusalem. They would most likely go out what's known as the, the uh, Eastern Gate, and they would go out the Eastern Gate. They would go down a hill, and it, which is Mount Moriah or Mount Zion. They would go into a, a valley called the Kidron Valley, and then they would go up another hill, which is called the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives was a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press because most likely where this garden was, there was a big thing in which they would get the olives because there are a lot of olive trees there, and then they would smush them, and they'd get the olive oil and all of those things. And so wherever Jesus is meeting with his people is at a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the olive press. And so they would go out across uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, uh, it's, it's about time. And this last part, we're going to go very quickly through this, but we're going to see three things when they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to see his arrest, his trials, and his crucifixion. And we're going to go very quickly through this. I want you to see the arrest in chapter 26, verses 47 through 48. If you remember, Judas left right in the middle of what we call the Passover meal. He went to the religious leaders, and he told them where Jesus was going to be. He got the religious leaders, some of the temple guards, and even some Roman soldiers with torches and swords, and they left. And while Jesus is there that night, if you remember, he got there. He took Peter, James, and John, said for them to come over with him. He told them to be praying, and he went over to pray. He prayed three different times each time they fell asleep. He came back and said, you fell asleep? Wake up and pray. And finally, the third time he comes back and says, it's time. And they looked up and look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him, that's Judas, gave them a sign. Here was the sign. Whoever I kiss... He's the one sees him. Now, you know, what, when we say kiss, what is, but, you know, in that, in that culture, you would go up to somebody and you'd kiss them on both sides of the cheek. You see that even today. And so he said, I want to make sure you get the right guy because it's dark, it's night, you've got torches. You can, you know. He said, I'll get there, I'll go straight up to Jesus and I'll kiss him. Immediately Judas, this is verse 49, went to Jesus and said, Hell, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend... Do what you've come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. That's the arrest. So they came and got him. Now we're going to see the trials. And by the way, there were three trials. and uh, Three trials before the Jews, three trials before the Romans. And I want you to understand that first they took him to Annas. Annas was, this is a little bit strange. As you know, in the history of Israel, there's a high priest. There's supposed to be one high priest. But the time the Romans had taken over everything, there were actually two high priests. Annas and then his son-in-law was Caiaphas, and they were the both, they were the high priest. They were two at a time, basically. Now, Caiaphas is their legal representative, but Annas is the former high priest, so they both worked together. The night they arrested Jesus, they took him, first of all, to Annas, who was the father-in-law, and they tried him there, and then they took him over to Caiaphas, at, still at night, and tried him there, and then the next morning, they brought together the Sanhedrin and tried him there. So three times before the Jews, 
Two of them were illegal because the Jewish people did not, could not have a trial at night. They had two trials at night, one in the morning, and they found him guilty. Then they took him to the Romans. They took him first to Pilate, then they took him to Herod, and, and then they came back to Pilate again. So they had three trials. And what you understand is the Jews found him guilty three times. The Romans found him innocent three times. Pilate even said, I find no fault with him. But they had this big uproar. And finally, Pilate says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every year at this time, I release for you a notable prisoner. And so he's going to give him a chance. He thinks, because Jesus is so loved by the people, that when he says, who do you want me to release, they'll say Jesus. But there was a guy there. His name was Barabbas. And he had committed murder and an insurrection. And he's a notable prisoner. And the religious leaders told the crowd, shout for Barabbas. And so when Pilate said, who do you want me to release? They all started saying, Barabbas, Barabbas. And he said, well, what about Jesus, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. Now, what is the most unusual thing is the name Barabbas, you know what it means? It means son of the father. And so you've got a son of the father who is a criminal who's in prison, supposed to die. You've got the other son of the father who is innocent, who is about to die. And what we find is Jesus Christ took Barabbas' place. You can picture Barabbas in the jail expecting to die, hearing the soldiers come down. He's expected they're going to come get him and crucify him. And they open the door and they say, you're free to go. And he goes, what? What are you talking about? How can I be free to go? And they said, another died in your place. And see, every one of us are Barabbas. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We owe God death. We're supposed to be separated from God. And yet Jesus came and took our place. And he died in our place place. And so look at verse 26 of that passage um, of of, uh, 26. uh, I'm sorry, go on to uh, chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 26, look what it says. Then he released Barabbas for them, and having Jesus scourged, to hand him over to be crucified. So there we see it. Barabbas was set free because of Jesus. We set free. Because of Jesus, he died in our place. Now, we've seen that. Let's see the crucifixion and look at chapter 27, verse basically verse 35. Yeah, let me go back to verse 33. It says, and they came to get to a place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. By the way, you've heard me say this over and over. We'll get to it. But the place of the skull, Golgotha, uh, is, 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 is the Latin word is Calvary. It means skull. That's why we say Jesus died on Calvary because it's a skull. Calgotha means the place of the skull. There's two legends, two rumors. One is they called it the place of the skull because when, when David cut off Goliath's head, he brought it back and buried the head of Goliath there, and that was called the place of the skull. The other tradition is that it's on the side of a hill and that looks like there's a skull because there's two eye places and kind of a mouth place. And, and so some people say it's called the place of the skull because David though put you know buried Goliath's head there. Some say it's called the place of the skull because it looks like... But anyway, it says they came to the place of the skull, and then look at verse 35, and when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves and casting lots. So they crucified him. They put him on the cross. They cast lots. Psalm 22, 18 says they will cast lots. And so look at the charge above his head, verse 37, and above his head they put up the charge against him which read, this is Jesus 
the king of the Jews. If you look at all four Gospels, the sign actually said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. That was a sign. And in one of the other Gospels, Gospel of, of Matthew, uh, John says it was in Latin and Greek and uh, in different languages as well. So Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, it said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. I want you to think about something. Who is there? The soldiers who cast the lots, the two thieves, and many people. We'll come back to them in a minute, but I just want you to see what happened. And we'll go quickly. In verse 45, look what happened. Darkness came from 12 to 3. It says, now in the sixth hour, that's 12 o'clock, darkness fell upon the land till ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Darkness came. What is happening? In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabatini, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? What happened? Because when it turned dark, God the Father broke the fellowship with the Son because the Son took the sin of mankind upon himself and paid the penalty. As First Peter says, he bore our sins as Isaiah 53 says he was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus Christ is on the cross dying for the sins of mankind. We have seen the preparation for death. We've seen the death. Now what's the results? What is the results in the Gospel of John? Jesus says it is finished. The payment was made. That's the result. And I want you to see something that is so amazing. Look at verse 51 of Matthew 27. It says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The veil in the temple was torn. That was the barrier that separated man from God. In the temple, in the, in the, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a front room of the temple which had the, the lampstand and the table of showbread and the, uh, the altar of incense. And then there was a curtain and there was the back room. And the only people could ever go in the back room was the high priest and only once a year because it showed that sin had not been paid for and there was still a barrier. When Jesus died on the cross, that barrier, that, that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, showing the way is now open for man. Think about this. When Jesus died, the veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And that's why we can say we can come to God by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We can have eternal life. Listen to this. First Peter 3.18 Christ died for our sins once for all, the just, the unjust, in order that what? He might bring us to God. Jesus died on the cross paying for sins. The barrier's been removed. As First Peter says, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I deliver to you first importance, which I also received, Christ died for our sins. Now, this message, the message of Jesus Christ, the message that he died and rose again, always divides people. I want you to think about this. The soldiers, you know what happened? Some of them mocked, some of them believed. The thieves, one mocked, one believed. The crowd, some mocked, some believed. I want you to understand that that's always true. And so all of you are listening. Where do you stand? Are you mocking or are you believing? Do you believe and understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross to pay for sin? We're going to see next week that he rose from the grave. And if you will believe in him, you will never perish but have eternal life. Don't be as those who mock what Jesus has done, but be those who have believed in him for eternal life. Well, this morning, we have seen Jesus told of his plan that he was going to die and rise again. We saw it six or seven places. We saw that he was arrested and tried and crucified. We finish 
with his burial. And notice what happened in verse 59. Well, actually, let me read back at verse, verse 57 of, of Matthew 27. When it was evening, there was this rich man from Arimathea. His name was Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Christ. He went to Pilate and asked for the body. And they gave him the body. In verse 59, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he'd hewn out in the rock. He rolled this large stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. And, of course, Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary, and they watched and they saw where it was. We end with the burial. I remember in my life seeing several movies about Christ. And in every one of them, and they were, they were put on, they were secular type movies, they were put on by the world, and every one of them ended with the death of Jesus Christ. They ended with the death of Jesus Christ. The end of the story is not the death of Jesus Christ. The end of the story is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're just halfway through. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. We're going to see that he rose again. So next time, we're going to see the resurrection the Son of God died to pay for sin. The Son of God rose from the grave to conquer death. This event, the event we're going to see next week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the world because the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved that he is God, proved that sins are paid for, and proved that death is conquered. Next time, the resurrection of our Savior. Let me give you some applications, first of all. Let us trust in Jesus Christ who died most again. Listen, for all of you watching, all of you listening to this, let's trust in Christ. Trust in him for eternal life. That's the offer, by the way. You trust in Jesus to give you eternal life. Life, eternal life is life forever with Jesus. Jesus said he would die and rise again, and whoever believed in him would never perish but have eternal life. So just remember, the offer is eternal life. So right now, wherever you are, you can put your trust in Christ to give you eternal life. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the one who died and rose again. And if you believe in him, if you trust in him, he gives you eternal life. The second thing under this is just realize that the work of Christ for salvation is finished. There's nothing else to do. It's not what we do. It's not that we try to be good or we try to help Jesus or we try to work with him somehow to get ourselves saved. He is the Savior. On the cross, he said, it is finished. The payment is made. It is all done. And so it's a, it's a gift. And whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. The second application is let us tell others the grace message of salvation. And it is a message of grace. It is not a message of works. If you're not careful, you'll hear people and they'll say things like, oh, it's the grace of God, but then they add things. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to be willing to do this. Salvation is a gift. It is the gospel message, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. And whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Let me just remind you of the greatest verse in the scripture that, you, that, that everybody knows. That God so loved the world. He loved us. The world is each one of us. That he, the Father, gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus Christ to come to the earth, to become a human being, to die on the cross, to pay for sin, to rise again, to conquer death. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, meaning any person, whosoever would believe in him, it's faith, it's not works, it's trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone, whoever believed in him would never perish, never be separated, but have eternal 
life. The moment you trust in Christ, you have eternal life. And let me just say something. Eternal life is eternal life. It cannot end. The moment you trust in Christ, he gives you eternal life, and you are saved, and you are saved forever. Nothing can ever change it. Next time, we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday will be Easter Sunday, in which we always celebrate the resurrection. We've seen his death and burial. Next Sunday, his resurrection.